Welcome to Title VII, The Movement, hashtag the right to sue, the podcast that speaks to workplace discrimination as it pertains to the controversial Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that covers both state and federal laws that outline five major protected classes. Title VII prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. I am Paige, and this is my co-host, Griffin. Hello and welcome. Please subscribe to this podcast and make sure you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You may also reach us at rwtv2020 at gmail.com. Our aim is to present employees and employers with in-person and written personal testimonies, along with case study information, citing relatable circumstances and similar situations that will empower whosoever wills with the capability to execute a compelling need to have Title VII law enforced to defend their civil rights in the workplace, helping to eliminate hostilities due to discrimination that results in racism. Our mission is to make impact now and in real time. Under Title VII, the individual class is stated or considered protected because of the history of unequal treatment. The Commission's vocation is to function as a national law firm working collaboratively to maximize its impact on employment discrimination by resolving lawsuits brought on behalf of groups of individuals or even one person, I myself having been such a person. With that being said, for many people, discrimination is an everyday reality. We are talking about institutional discrimination, which involves discriminatory practices, laws, and procedures within certain companies and social institutions. We are talking about permissible practices and procedures that cause discriminatory consequences. The topic is, and will always be, workplace discrimination. As it pertains to Title VII cases that are filed, we have, on this particular podcast, accounts of active shooters. Although many would hope that race discrimination remains a thing of the past, The unfortunate reality is that many still face discrimination based on their race or national heritage. Employers that practice race discrimination put themselves at risk for heavy fines if any of their employees decide to sue, even worse, shoot and kill. Title VII, the podcast, is a means to help cease and desist with the violence. For those who come under its protection, it could be a matter of life or death. A disgruntled employee may vent their frustrations through verbal or violent attacks on the parties responsible for discrimination. There have been various instances of workplace homicides in the United States and around the world brought about by the rage of an employee who feels that they were treated poorly by their manager or colleagues. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are over 1.5 million assaults in the workplace every year more than 1,000 of which are fatal. The first event of this nature occurred in 1986 when 14 people were killed in an Oklahoma post office as reported by Time Magazine. The following stories serve not only to show the devastating effects workplace discrimination can have when not addressed, 
but also to serve as a wake-up call to all agencies and their executive leadership and to all business managers. According to Wikipedia reports, Justin Carissimo reported August 26, 2015 in reference to Vester Flanagan. Everything we know about the gunman who killed two WDBJ journalists on air, the Independent Print Limited, retrieved August 26, 2015. A former WDBJ employee suspected in killing two journalists on air Wednesday morning has died from a gunshot wound after shooting himself. Authorities identified the suspect as 41-year-old Vester Lee Flanagan II of Ronaco, Virginia. The suspect's on-air name was Bryce Williams. Mr. Flanagan worked as a WDBJ multimedia journalist between 2012 and 2013. Statements submitted as follows. He filed an action with the EEOC in which he is said to have made all kinds of complaints. One of the staff members said that there may have been a complaint about Allison and or Adam. They are reporting having said, frankly, they didn't remember but they insinuated that one of the complaints was that members of the staff made racial comments. He was an African-American, and none of the complaints would be collaborated by anyone. The staff members stated that they thought that the complaints were fabricated. This is an excerpt submitted by Independent News as an email comment, and it reads, Yes, the thing with racism, especially at work, when the employer turns it around and makes it look like you're the one with the problem, is you feel like bringing a gun to work and dishing out instant justice. The writer signs off with RIP, dude, rest in peace. References Wikipedia, shooting and motives. Flanagan maintained accounts on Facebook and Twitter, which were suspended after he was named as a suspect in the shooting. On both profiles, he repeated his claims of racial discrimination by WDBJ, specifically naming Parker and Ward. Flanagan claimed that while working with Parker during her internship at WDBJ, she had made a coded racist remark regarding a friend who lived on Cotton Hill Road, an existing street that runs to the southwest of Starkey in southwestern Ronekago County, and that Ward had filed a complaint against him to WDBJ's Human Resources Department after working with him on one occasion. In May 2009, a masonry company agreed to pay $500,000 to settle a Title VII lawsuit alleging race and national origin harassment of Hispanic employees. The suit charged that the foreman and former superintendent referred to the company's Latino employees with derogatory terms such as effing Mexicans, pork chop, ulio, specs, chico, and wetback. In addition, the former employees alleged that Hispanic workers were routinely exposed to racist graffiti, which the company never addressed. April of 2012, the Fifth Circuit ruled that Kansas City Southern Railway Company, KCSR, violated Title VII when engaged in race discrimination by terminating two African-American employees because of work rule violations and retaining their similarly situated 
white co-drivers who were involved in the same incidents leading to the African-American employees' dismissals. The court also took issue with KCSR's failure to document the reasons for the terminations and inability to identify the decision maker. The court cautioned, KCSR is no stranger to Title VII employment discrimination litigation and it would behoove KCSR to discharge its burdens with greater accuracy. EEOC versus KCSR, number 09-30558, 5th Circuit, 2012. In April of 2007, the commission decided that a Caucasian complainant was subjected to racial harassment over a period of two years by both managers and coworkers using various racial derogatory terms when referring to the complainant. Evidence showed that management generally condoned racially related comments made by African-American supervisors and co-workers who frequently voiced a black versus white mentality at the workplace. The commission ordered the agency to pay complainant $10,000 in compensatory damages and to provide training to all management and staff at the facility. See Brown versus United States Postal Services, EEOC Appeal Number 0720060042, April 11, 2007. Kentucky, June 25, 2008. Russell Goldman at Goldman Russell, a factory worker with a reputation for not getting along with co workers, went on a shooting spree at a Kentucky plastics plant after getting into an argument with his supervisor. Police told ABC News. Police said that gunman killed five other employees before shooting himself to death. A seventh person who was wounded was listed in critical condition. According to police, the employee got into an argument with a supervisor around midnight and used a handgun to shoot other workers seemingly at random. We do know the suspect brought the handgun after an argument with a supervisor. Lieutenant David Pillar of the Henderson, Kentucky Police Department told ABC's Good Morning America. We don't know for sure what the motivation was behind this. We do know he did have an argument earlier with a supervisor. We don't know if that played a part in this or not. We're still following up on that, Pillar said. As far as any other motivation may be, we know that he's had some problems with other employees in the past. Of the seven people found by police with gunshot wounds, only one has survived. February 2008, a restaurant agreed to pay $165,000 to resolve a Title VII lawsuit. EEOC brought it on behalf of a dining manager who was Arab and Moroccan because he and an Arab waiter allegedly have been subjected to customer harassment based on race and national origin, and then the manager was fired in retaliation for opposing the harassment. According to the EEOC's investigation, when the dining manager complained, the customer turned on him saying, if you don't like it, why don't you go back to your country? I fought two wars to get rid of people like you. Northeast Philadelphia, September 10, 2010. 
Kraft Foods released a statement Friday night regarding the deadly shooting that occurred in a Northeast Philadelphia plant. In regards to suspect Yvonne Hiller, officials say from time to time this employee had run in with others. However, they did not believe she had a history of violent behavior. On the day of the incident, she became agitated and used profanity, so she was suspended. Her company ID was taken and she was escorted from the building. Sadly, she returned with the weapon. The suspect, Yvonne Hiller, 43, was arrested about an hour after the shooting at the plant. She was charged with two counts of murder, one count of attempted murder and one count of aggravated assault. Police said more charges could have been forthcoming. April 17, 2009, by Earl Ofari Hutchinson, L.A. Watts Times. Two months before Jiverly Wong's Bingington murder binge, Antonio Lupo killed his wife, five children, and himself in Wilmington. There were allegations that Lupo was enraged over a personally insulting remark by a supervisor and charges of racial harassment by management. The explanation was that Lupo, an African-American, was driven over the edge when he and his wife were fired from their jobs as lab technicians at Kaiser Permanente Hospital in Los Angeles, St. Louis, Missouri, on January 7th, 2010, the ABB plant shooting was a shooting spree at an ABB power plant in a St. Louis factory. A gunman on a rampage at ABB power employee, armed with multiple firearms, killed three and injured five others, two critically, and killed himself before police arrived. Timothy Hendren arrived at work with an AK-47 styled assault rifle and at least two high point handguns, a pump action shotgun, and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. The shootings began around 6.30 a.m. local time when Hendren opened fire in a parking lot near the factory before moving inside. The first 911 call came in around 6.45 a.m. saying that a gunman was moving about the complex and that he had shot several people. Hendren fired about 100 rounds of ammunition, killing two people in the parking lot and another person inside the factory before killing himself. An employee at the factory returned fire with his concealed firearm when the gunman was moving down the hall towards a group of workers who were hiding in a break room. No motive had been identified, but he was known to be part of a class action lawsuit against ABB. People who knew Hendren said that he had been increasingly unhappy with his job at ABB, going so far as to search for a labor lawyer. Police identified the shooter as 51-year-old Timothy Hendren, a resident of Webster Groves, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis, and an employee of ABB. In workplaces where there are many interactive relationships around authority, the responsibility is serious to ensure through trainings, workplace cultural values, and consistent application of policies and procedures that authority is not misused either blatantly or subtly. When it is in measures of intervention, intervention should be put into operation to prevent the abuse 
and feelings of anger that have proven to be the result. We must work not only to prevent future instances, but to repair and make whole those who have been injured by the abuse of authority. Otherwise, we invite dormant, suppressed anger that can take any number of forms, including workplace violence. Today's takeaways are what counts as discrimination in the workplace. Most people know that blatant acts of discrimination and harassment are illegal, and most people can identify the obvious ones. The coworker who uses racial slurs, the manager who inappropriately touches female employees, the employer who will not hire or promote a certain worker because of their sexual orientation. However, even more subtle forms of discrimination that may not appear wrong are still prohibited. Subtle acts of discrimination can take many forms. Employers have a duty to prevent and remedy toxic work environments, which are workplaces where harassment and inappropriate behavior run rampant, distracting victims from doing their jobs. There is no legal claim for toxic work environments. However, state and federal law prohibit hostile work environments and require employers to remedy them. To bring a legal claim for a hostile work environment, the harassment or discrimination must be so severe and pervasive that the victim considers it abusive and a reasonable person in the victim's shoes would consider it abusive. The offensive conduct which substantially disrupts an employee's work or career's progress. Isolated or occasional comments and actions will likely not qualify unless they are especially serious. Typically, the inappropriate behavior must persist over time in order to be illegal. If the company does not stop the misconduct, this can also create liability for the employer. The offensive behavior must also be targeted at a specific protected class, race, color, ancestry, national origin, religion, creed, age, 40 and older, disability, sex, gender, including pregnancy, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, medical condition, genetic information, marital status, and military veteran status. Anything less than repeated abusive behavior directed at people because of a specific protected characteristics can be an undesirable, unpleasant, or unsatisfactory place to work, but it may not qualify as a hostile work environment. Disclaimer notice, our podcasts are aimed at providing information of litigation and regulatory developments that affect employees and employers. The podcasts cover complex discrimination issues and executive employment matters. The podcasts are an informational product and should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Any references, links, or other knowledge resources are for informational purposes only. This closes out and concludes our podcast for this episode, Title VII, The Movement, hashtag the right to sue. We thank you for listening, and please remember to subscribe to this podcast and make sure you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.